0: Welcome to
1: Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy, but today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert.
2: Good morning. Welcome. This is Carol Bosser. You're listening to Museum Life. And for today's show, uh, I am going to be talking to you about uh, the year in review. Uh, I hope that that I can uh, share with you just uh, uh, some insights into the uh, into the shows over the past year, uh, perhaps uh, interest you in or remind you to listen to one maybe that you have missed. And also just sort of reflect on some of the trends and the themes that have uh, emerged on this show, but are merging together, I think, into a more uh, holistic picture of. Issues that we face as a museum community, and uh, and and things that we might be uh, tracking for the future. I wanted to start out by saying it has been an absolutely fabulous first year. Uh, Thank you all. Thank you all my guests. Thank you uh, for all of my listeners, particularly those of you who have uh, emailed me or sent me a tweet about an idea or a uh, guest. Uh, I have used all of those on the show, and I think the show is richer, and certainly my life is richer I was, uh, in preparation for the show, I listed out on a single piece of paper all of the guests and their topics, and I was... uh i was heartened uh, by the variety of programs of course i i pretty much uh, fly by the seat of my pants i uh, on in terms of identifying guests uh, i go where where my interests take me and it was interesting a little bit to see where where those interests uh, lie as well as where some of the connections were my first uh, a live show in the new year was January 31st with a dear friend and colleague, uh, Stephen Brand. Uh, talking about museums and the enterprising spirit, uh, Stephen is 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 one of um, one of the most delightful people. He has is was probably born an entrepreneur, and in through his career he has uh, worked in museums and in uh, the the private sector as well as the education sector, in bringing that entrepreneurial spirit to everything he does, uh, including. With just amazing results. And uh, he's, one of the things Stephen talked to us about was the camping program that he developed at the Inventors Hall of Fame in Ohio, which was a, a success on many levels. It was success in terms of quantity of people served, it was a success in terms of the revenue that was generated, and it was a success in terms of the uh, ability of the the organization to fulfill its mission of encouraging young people to think of themselves as inventors and uh, inspire their own curiosity. We also reminisced a little bit about the big push in the 1980s uh, that Stephen was, was uh, highly involved with, which was incorpor- uh, having museums incorporate Disney's guest services training programs into museums. Uh, that is something that continues to this day, uh, and I think all for the better for our museums and audiences, uh, making sure that that frontline staff uh, that are the people that the uh Our visitors see the very first when they go into the museum, and uh, those people need to be welcoming, they need to be able to solve problems, and they need to be able to make sure that guest experience is the very best it can be, reflecting positively on their institutions. However, uh, in during that conversation, Stephen and I also uh, reminded ourselves that there is a uh, challenge that museums have, and that is we as museum professionals, we have a tendency to Take on an, an organization's culture, whether it be Disney or Google or Microsoft or uh, whatever whatever industry culture is the uh, you know, sort of the hot thing going on, and we embrace it fully. And that can sometimes lead to misunderstandings and, and really sort of uh, uh, shoot us in the foot at times. And, and in other words, it is absolutely phenomenal that we have an opportunity to, to pick and choose and take successful approaches such as Disney's guest services training and incorporate that into our museum program. But when we forget that we're not Disney, and nor are we any other theme park, and we inadvertently start uh, expanding that language and that culture into, say, our business or operating models, uh, then that can. Uh, create a problem for us. And in fact, it was very interesting that Stephen emphasized that the key to bringing a successful entrepreneurial spirit to the museum operations is to remain true to the institution's mission, Uh, that that is really the thing that separates museums from other types of organizations. And I was reflecting that this idea that museums can be most successful by staying true to their mission was a theme that came up in many of our interviews that shouldn't be surprising on this show. Uh, but it was really made concrete during my October 24th conversation with Anne Bergeron and Beth Tuttle, who are the authors of uh, the book Magnetic The Art and Science of Engagement, which is available through AAM Press. Uh, Beth and Anne uh, described their research during that conversation, and uh, as written up in their book, Magnetic, they... They ask uh, a simple but truly perplexing question, and why is it that there are certain uh, institutions amongst our myths that seem to, on the outside anyway, without even trying? They can attract uh, resources, both human and financial. Uh, they uh Attract the goodwill of their community, and are by all means the most highly functioning organizations—the ones that we always want to to become. And what what are the what's their secret? In other words, and so Beth and Anne uh, identified these highly functioning organizations by mining data from a variety of sources, uh, both quantit primarily quantitative of data uh, and then chose a number of these institutions to interview at, to uh, see what those commonalities are. And what we what I found most interesting is is that the common practices of these high-performing institutions is not necessarily uh, and often is not a charismatic leader. It does not um, require a large endowment or a, uh, a board made up of, of very wealthy or influential people. Uh, but in fact, these common practices uh, share a commitment to being of value to their community, of uh, providing true and significant value to uh, the communities in which they serve, that they are looking inward as well as outward, uh, and that it is truly this Looking at the needs of the community, which can seem very qualitative, sort of warm and fuzzy. You know, we need to provide service to our community. Uh, but that it, that it is that true commitment that is the essential quality to an institution's financial and overall success. Now, the idea of civic engagement is not new. We've been talking about it since I've been in the profession, and uh, as my listeners know, that has been um, more than a quarter of a century. I mean, Stephen Weil has written about the importance of being successful and essential to one's community, and Stephen's writings are essential and required reading for any museum studies program and for any of us who are in the museum profession. Stephen always talked about institutions being for someone instead of about something. Uh, this idea of civic engagement has been uh, described in elegant terms by by Elaine Human-Gurion, Marcia Semmel, and, of course, Alan, uh, the late Alan Friedman, a, a good friend of mine, a true loss to our profession, who said on the show uh, in March, you know, museums need to strive to be not only nice, but necessary for their communities. So the question has always been, If the idea of museums being a part of the community is not new, then why do we often still struggle with it? I was particularly then taken with, my, um, with an answer to that, uh, my October 31st conversation with Bill Booth and Kristen Lee called Listening to Communities in New Ways. Now, I heard Bill and Kristen speak at the Association of Science Technology Conference this past fall. And in fact, it was probably the most inspiring uh, conference uh, presentation that I have heard in a long time. And that is a a how to actually that Bill is using uh, based on his consultation work with the Harwood Institute on community building and bringing that to the museum realm. And Kristen Lee, uh, who works for Explora, a science center, very uh, successful science center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and talking about a very Subtle yet vital shift in perspective, and that is as Bill said, moving from working for your community to working with your community. And uh, all of a sudden that by shifting that uh, that perspective, it changes museums uh, perception of themselves as something that needs to push information out to a deserving and uh, well-meaning community or and and that leads us to then finding strategies where we can convince our audience that we are vital and important, and uh, their lives would be so much better should they simply walk through our doors. But to becoming a an equal. And vital playing in that community and that means that we ask the community what they're interested in and as uh, Kristen uh, admitted that when they did that at Explora, not one person said that what they value most in their community or, or in their future lives uh, or what will make their lives so much better uh, it, it, it wasn't science education or it wasn't a, a, a bigger and better and shinier science center. So, uh, and so that meant that the institution had to become a little humble and also understand, but there were things that the museum and the rest of the community valued. They did value education. They did value safety. They did value uh, things that made them a stronger community. And by learning those things and understanding those, those shared values and essentially making a shared vocabulary, Kristen shared examples of how Explora is beginning to shift their Mindset and essentially opening up new avenues for uh, becoming that essential part of the community that I found uh, so very, very important. and, and that was also hearkened by my my February 7th conversation that I had with Sarah Sutton about greening the museum, that museums are just like the rest of the community, uh, affected by uh, the environment uh, and also have a, a significant role to play in both being a model as well as making uh, making better environmental decisions and uh Uh, helping our entire environment. Again, being part of our community, not just being for our community. Well, Uh, Thank you for that first segment. I have several more things that I want to share with you. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I'm going to be talking about another trend uh, that was on the show very often, which was looking at uh, museums and the effect of digitization and this disruptive age we live in and how that's affecting museum practice. So please stay tuned. There's a lot more to share with you about this year in review. I'm Carol Bossert from Museum Life. I'll be back in a moment.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
4: Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss.
0: Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune in to Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time,
4: Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time.
3: The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life.
2: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and on today's show, I am reviewing uh, the guests and the topics uh, that have been on the show for the past year. And one of the uh, biggest uh, themes that I wanted to explore this year is the uh, the influence of the digital revolution. Uh, some would say it's really we are living in a disruptive age where digital technologies are so pervasive in all aspects of our lives, yet they are changing so rapidly uh, that it is uh, almost, uh, it's very difficult to keep up uh, and also to understand. Um, so I, I consciously uh, sought out a number of uh, experts in this field who, uh, And along the way, and brought them to you, I learned a lot about digital technologies and, of course, made a number of new friends. Uh, In talking with these knowledgeable people, I was thrilled to have on the show uh, Mike Edson, Coven Smith, Jasper Visser, uh, and Nancy Proctor uh, throughout the years. And these were really wonderful conversations. I encourage you to go back and listen to each of these shows. They had so much to offer, and I will only be able to uh, highlight and not uh, highlight some of the aspects and the threads that I saw. Now, the issue of uh, what I learned so much uh, is that this issue of digital technology far surpasses discussions about what type of technology we should be using in the museum. In fact, the issues surrounding uh, museums finding their way in, uh, in the digital world has nothing to do with technologies themselves. And as Nick Honey said uh, on this show last fall, just forget the technology and ask the more important questions of how we should be uh, presenting our content and our information to our audiences. Uh, The one thing, uh, if I learned nothing else uh, throughout uh, the course of this year and talking to these great guests, it was uh, just question all of your assumptions and simply because something is represented on a digital screen does not mean that it is uh, inherently going to be successful in reaching or engaging our audiences. Uh, I think in fact, have looking at this digital uh, issue and influence as a mindset rather rather than a an application was was very very useful, and I think Coven Smith put it well when he talked about digital values and using and applying digital values to the decisions that we make within the museum, uh, both for the use of digital technology and everything else. Uh, the digital age has means that uh, our culture places a premium on agility, the ability to move quickly and move with grace and style uh, as new information and new approaches become available. The, uh, the emphasis on usability, as I said before, simply because we put something on a screen or on our smartphone, does not guarantee that it is going to be uh, easily usable. And we have all become so focused on, on the ability to use things easily. And more and probably I would say the most important is that um, a digital, the most important digital value is needs focused. What does a user need. In fact, that word user, as opposed to visitor or guest, is something that that, uh, people who have grown up in the digital age or who are involved in developing digital technologies use all the time. Interestingly enough, it is also the term that uh, people like Marcia Semmel and David Carr and others who have worked on the library side of cultural institutions also use. These are people that use their resources. And I think that, that again, that's a very subtle and important shift in vocabulary that reflects a shift in emphasis that may help all of us uh, think through new solutions to some of our chronic uh, challenges. Uh, the, these values of agility, usability, and needs focus really shape our audience expectations and they can frame our decision making within the museum, uh, whether those decisions are about digital technology or not. And the truth is uh, that museums, unless something really changes, uh, are woefully undercapitalized. We are not theme parks. Uh, we, uh, e- whether or not we charge a an admission fee to get into uh, our facilities, those fees do not cover the breadth of our operating expenses. We are nonprofit organizations, and uh, we have different business models, uh, so we cannot. Uh, Ever succeed in the arena of being the first on our block or in our community or in the world to have the most bleeding edge technology? Uh, We cannot compete. In a digital arms race. Uh, And as sure as an institution uh, creates an exhibition that requires a certain uh, smart tablet technology, uh, within the next couple of months the version 2 or version 3 of that technology will be available. Now, does not mean that the application that we've chosen isn't a good one, but we can never market ourselves on uh, like we we would if we were at the uh, Apple bar. We also can't say that everyone who you you know everyone's using a mobile app, so we should create a mobile app. The answer is, why? As uh, as uh, Coven uh, said, and I think Mike Edson as well, sometimes the worst part of their day is when the museum director has been on an airplane and talking to someone about some kind of digital technology and they come back to the museum and say, wow, we should do this too. Uh, and, and the question is, why? What? Uh, how is that going to help our audience? And... Uh, Another aspect of the digital world is what Nancy Proctor described as uh, museums are now part of a distributed information network. We are one node within a network of information sources available to our audience. Uh, We are no longer the sole keepers of our content, nor are we in control of how that content is presented. Uh, for instance, a visitor in a museum no longer is confined by the curatorial label copy. Now, it doesn't mean uh, we should throw out the curators or their voice, uh, but it does mean that that label copy or audio description is only a starting point in the uh, user's uh, engagement with a particular piece of art or a certain idea. Uh, that visitor can read the label copy and then get on their smartphone phone or tablet to learn more. And if they're very interested, they can continue to learn from other institutions and organizations. And for me, this really changes the nature of interpretation and our role as interpreters. And I took this particularly to heart, being an interpretive planner. And so in the words of Max Anderson, who was on the show April 18th, digital means that we are moving from interpretation to conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Edson also reminded us that digital changes how we define our audience and our communities. Uh, The scale means that people, that the Internet means that our community can be a global community. We know that social media connects people from all over the world and spawns interest groups on every topic imaginable. Uh, one of the fun things to do if you have nothing else to do is to use your web browser and put uh, type in the most esoteric topic you can think of, and I guarantee you will find all sorts of people who are involved in that topic, and uh, you will find that they are ready, willing, and able to include you in their virtual community to share ideas, to curate ideas, and, uh, involve, and involve you in it. And so that means for museums that our audience is no longer li- uh, limited by geography it wasn't so long ago that when we talked about audience, we talked about audience in terms of their geography. How uh, how long it took them to ride in a car or a bus or a subway to get to our facility uh, really was the determining factor. Or we talked about a tourist audience who might come to our facility. And while those are still very important audiences, they are not our only audiences. And because of the scale of the digital world that we live in, even the smallest museum can have a global impact, sharing their collection resources and engaging people all over the world. And that was highlighted um, as an example by Stephen Watson, who I had on the show August 22nd, uh, who is the CFO of the National World War II Museum, which, by the way, is opening a new wing just this month. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting down there in the next couple of uh, uh, months to see that. But Stephen recollected for us the shift from that of that museum from being they started as the D-day museum very very narrow fo- focus now they are the National World War II museum with a mission that is global in scale to share their ideas uh, collect information, research and understand uh, the effect that this seminal event this world war literally World War had on uh, world history and how it continues to influence geopolitics today. So Stephen expressed the various ways that using that framework, the museum is using digital technologies to reach an audience that they know will never walk through their doors, but they are using that as a way to expand and enhance their mission. Well, it's that time again. We're going to take another short break and when we come back uh, more ideas and thoughts about the Museum Life year and review. Remember you can always reach me at carol.bossert at verizon.net my Uh, Twitter name is at Muse that's W-R-I-T-E and uh, I look forward to hearing from you now and in the future so we will take a short break we'll be back in just a moment
3: Streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world.
4: and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tired
3: of lackluster results with your marketing? Stimulating
4: talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast.
3: All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
1: You're tuned into to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life.
2: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. We are continuing with uh, a look at the year in review on, uh, on the show this year. And I wanted to just continue on with some of the, uh, the other things that I learned uh, through guests on uh, the show this year in terms of digital, uh, digital technologies and digitization. Uh, one was uh, the show with, my show with Jasper Visser. We talked uh, about what is a very uh, important part of uh, uh, the digital influence, and unfortunately it has the worst name. So I'm hoping that uh, smart people like Jasper and others will give us a better moniker for that, and that is the term crowdsourcing. Uh, For those of us who, who grew up in a different generation, an older generation, the idea of crowdsourcing suggests that. A group of people get together and they vote, uh, or uh, or they work as a committee and come to a consensus. And sometimes that means that the topic or the content uh, comes out to be the sort of the lowest common denominator or the easiest thing. And for those of us who are creative types, uh, we sometimes feel that 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 uh, a crowd means that we've lost that uh, that that vision or edge. And that, of course, could not be further from the truth when we are looking at the idea of of having museums open their doors or perhaps peeling back the curtain, whichever metaphor you like, to welcome the community into the operational aspects uh, of the museum. That um, uh, perhaps a better term is this idea of co-creation that means that we, uh, just as Bill Booth and Kristen Lay uh, reminded us, that we need to be working with our communities, not for our communities. Well, when you work with people, when you respect their ideas and their their uh, experiences, you engage them by. Asking them their opinions and their thoughts, and also uh, helping them work with you to find solutions. And I and Jasper. Uh, shared with us several uh, projects that he has been involved with looking at uh, the planning and using uh, museum visitors and community participants to participate in the operations, uh, making operational decisions, everything from the Derby Silk Museum uh, that engaged visitors on a, a quite detailed basis to help them plan and execute exhibits to a museum in Spain that used a a crowdsourcing platform to invite uh, the visitors to, in fact, vote on which of uh, three or four uh, objects should be added to the museum collection. And this is not done without uh, uh, engaging visitors in the background of the the objects or the information, but it does make people uh, truly believe that they are a part of that community. And when we're talking about audience and the changing concept of who our audiences are, it reminds me of a conversation, a very fun conversation I had with Matt Lehrman, uh, who is a, a consultant helping uh, all sorts of cultural institutions identify their, their audiences and uh, create marketing strategies for meeting those audiences. And Matt said uh, in his program uh, discussion that he often brings a great big Big tree and uh, that has apples on it, uh, identifying the the uh, the misnomer, but very common phrase. Well, let's just you know try to look at the low hanging fruit. As and Matt's point was that the definition of low-hanging fruit needs to be investigated. Sometimes uh, thinking that we are going after, say, an easy audience blinds us to looking at our audiences in total, in which uh, Matt and I decided that the phrase to use from now on is that audiences are not apples. And uh, that reminded me as well that uh, something Nancy Proctor was saying is that oftentimes museums in marketing discussions uh, look at their audiences as if they are the same as a mass market. Now, the mass market of, and, and then employ, that leads them to employ marketing strategies the same way someone would if they were marketing, say, tooth toothpaste or uh, some other commodity. It is an interesting trend, particularly as I talk to emerging leaders in the museum world, that they're no longer looking at audiences as a mass market per se, but perhaps because of their digital influence, they are looking at audiences as smaller and smaller interest groups and segments that can all be welcomed into the museum and should be, yet uh, they are being targeted because of a particular interest or a particular uh, topic that they're involved with or a particular activity, and the museum provides that opportunity to be the convener of all of these smaller uh, smaller and distinct groups. That, uh, also reminds me of an underlying theme that, uh, actually was started, uh, uh, beyond the first year, but I felt that the program was just so important I re-ran it this year and that is a discussion with my friend Gretchen Jennings talking about the importance of being empathetic uh, to a museum audience uh, and to one's community and I know the word empathy uh, is, is getting you know perhaps a little overplay uh, these days, but it really means that uh, we put ourselves in individual Shoes. We put a face on our audience, not just a mass of faceless people, but we put a specific uh, as at be at being as specific as possible in identifying with with a person and uh, being able to then understand the needs of that person. Uh, that has been I think a theme that has changed the way that I've I've become uh, began to look at uh, some of the aspects of our uh, our programming in the museum world you know another aspect of uh, the programming this year, was looking at uh, research and research in museum practice. And I am thrilled at some of the more nuanced questions that are being asked and answered within the realm of visitor studies and museum research, not the least of which was my my uh, dis- discussion with Regan Forrest, who has just completed a fascinating dissertation about uh, naming and identifying aspects of a broad museum experience and beginning to see if there are ways of identifying whether there is an experience that some uh, aspect of the the experience that we can enhance to increase vis, uh, user interest and and impact uh, you know if I I I love to play a, a game um, sometimes with people I don't uh, know very well, and that is to go around and ask people if you were uh, if you could invite anyone uh, to a dinner party uh, who who would you invite? Because of course dinner parties are places where uh, if you get the right combination of people together, they can start sharing ideas and having wonderful uh, discussions and meaningful discussions. And so one of my uh, uh, hopeful dinner parties sometime, would be to bring in uh, Regan Forrest uh, and uh, Tim McNeil, uh, who is at, at an exhibit um, uh, developer as well as designer and teacher of design uh, in, um, at UC Davis, and looking at ways that they could start to look at both practice and uh, theory. Because uh, I, th- I feel that the museum world, we still tend to sort of wor- work in, in this very ephemeral world without n- not necessarily realizing that there is a greater research base for us. Uh, I think that this has been a shift in practice over the last 20 years that I've seen. We really, I think, need to be doing a much better job at uh, reading the research papers that are available to us, and more importantly, finding ways that the research can actually be uh, put into practice and then using that to refine uh, our practice and also those theory papers. It becomes a, a cycle that we have yet to to really, I think, clarify uh, and uh, uh Pull together into a, into a full circle. I think that that would help our field a great deal. It is one area that I really do hope that, that uh, I can influence uh, with this program in the coming year. Well, it is that time once again, and we will be taking our final break. And when I come back, just some final thoughts about this wonderful year in review. Uh, It has been such a pleasure uh, to be on this show and to be able to meet so many wonderful uh, uh, guests and bring them to you, my listeners. So we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life.
1: Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com.
3: and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the but time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bosser at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life.
2: Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and we are talking today about uh, reflecting on the year in review of uh, guests and topics that have been on the show this year. And just before we went to break, we were talking about the importance of research and how that uh, influences and can inform our practice. And one of the uh, actually last week's guest uh, uh, that I don't think got enough uh, play, and so so I encourage all of you to listen and re-listen to this fabulous uh, program uh, discussion that I had with uh, Jeffrey Smith. Uh, Jeff is uh, uh, wrote is the author of a book uh, recently published called The Museum Effect. Uh, Jeffrey, well he uh, now he is a uh, is a uh, uh, faculty in. Um, uh, Uh, New Zealand at uh, a local college there. He at one time was head of research for the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. And uh, during that time, he was engaged in a very interesting research project with a graduate student and identified this concept called the museum effect, which he describes very eloquently in our discussion uh, last Friday, but in short, uh, really having data that uh, that identifies that while people while users are in a museum and encountering objects, uh, or or ideas that that gives them an opportunity to reflect upon themselves, and this deeper reflection uh, is. Something that doesn't take place anyplace else. It is something that uh, makes museums, as institutions of our cultural heritage, uh, very unique, uh, unique places, and provides a unique contribution to our communities and societies. Um, I was reminded by. Uh, when I was talking with Jeffrey, uh, he and David Carr, our, our old friends, both started out at uh, uh, Rutgers University in Newark, where I also began my museum career. And as David likes to say, museums are places to satis- satisfy our curiosity about ourselves. And while I am sure there are people, uh, I am one of them, that also find time to reflect more deeply about uh, my my place in the world and my role in society if I am out on a walk, uh, I also find that uh, heightened awareness when I go into into a museum. I think that uh, this also gives us a great opportunity to to reflect on our on the uniqueness of our institutions, and that reminded me as well of what I would say was probably. Uh, one of my most memorable uh, museum uh, discussions this year, and that was with my dear friend Leslie Bedford on February twenty eighth. Leslie uh, had just published the Art of Museum Exhibitions, and uh, this was within a string of uh, programs that I I uh, had guests talking about the how-tos and the challenges of creating museum exhibitions, and I'm sure that that reflects my own interest and background in developing exhibitions. But Leslie's, I think, taken particular really still stays with me, and I find myself often in conversations invoking uh, her perspective and uh, her work uh, as a way of showing. And, and indicating the shifts that we have made in our profession and will continue to make, and perhaps if we look at her book, in which she uh, she ascribes to the fact that museums, museum exhibits should be considered ephemeral, uh, uh, artistic presentations that they are just as, they can be and should be just as magical yet just as fleeting as a theatrical presentation or a, a symphony orchestra concert that they are best when they are experienced in the moment, uh, and that, and she invokes the concept of of what if that this is a place not only for visitors to users to engage with each other, have having good social experiences, but it is an opportunity to uh, engage in the what if uh, uh, questions of our lives uh, and. And it is that that makes the Impact the long-term impact of a museum exhibition. And I think taken within the uh, context that we were discussing earlier about the digital mindset, uh, we no longer need to have museum exhibits be places that communicate facts or information just for the sole purpose of communicating facts or information. Uh, because since we have that in- entire library of the world at our disposal on our phone. Uh, that really relieves museum exhibitions from having that uh, that that preponderance of having to communicate uh, so much. And instead of that's not a deficit that what that does is it relieves the museum exhibition to do what it does best, which is to use design color objects and Ideas to create a moment in time uh, for visitors and users to share and appreciate, and essentially be inside the symphony, or inside the painting, or inside uh, the theatric, uh, the play, and that it is these opportunities that set museum exhibits apart from any anything else. I have a couple more uh, minutes, and I want to share with you in sort of a lightning round fashion some of my other most memorable uh, uh, exhibit guests and programs that I'm sure will stay with me for for years. One, of course, was uh, my conversation with Beth Redmond-Jones on November 7th, where she shared with us. Both her personal uh, journey and that of her daughter, as as well as her professional um, experience in uh, a describing uh, creating exhibits and experiences for individuals with autism, and she reminded me of a statistic that uh, that over fifty percent of um, of of uh... the population has some uh... children are have some form of autism and are on the spectrum and that those children today will grow up to be the adults of tomorrow and that that group of autistic adults have very little resources, cultural resources, places for them to be part of our community. And museums can and should be playing that that role. I also remember Ben Garcia in August where we had such fun and laughter talking about the very serious uh, uh, topic of social justice, yet doing it uh, with joy. And uh, not taking ourselves so seriously that uh, we become lecturers instead of uh, participants in the in the human uh, experience. And then, of course, also uh, Bob Jane's, Robert Jane's, who is truly one of the great writers of our field, uh, looking at museums in a time of change, realizing that museums have a unique role to play in being both forums agoras, uh, as well as uh, places to discuss uh, difficult Topics on neutral ground, uh, particularly in the area of social justice. And uh, that while that seems like such an obvious avenue for museums, uh, he and I were both shocked uh, to to uh, read so many negative uh, comments on a recent blog that he had done for the American Association of Museums. And so I think in, uh, about uh, you know, that museums have no role in this, this arena. So I think that this is an area that we will Continue to discuss both on this show and as we get together uh, as museum professionals. As I said before, this has been a fabulous, fabulous first year. I feel so privileged to have this opportunity to uh, meet great guests, to have wonderful conversations. I feel even more honored that uh, so many of you tune in uh, each week, uh, also download past episodes. I am always flattered but truly more humbled when I uh, meet you all uh, when I am out and about at uh, conferences and you know of the show. uh, That really... that that warms my heart, makes me feel that I am doing something important and uh, valuable for our community. I just want to finish by saying one thing. I love my profession. I love being uh, working with all of you in this very unique environment. Uh, I really see the promise, potential, and the impact of of our industry. Uh, we don't do a very good job of communicating that impact uh, outside of our museum industry. I think that that is an area that we all need to take a, a greater role. But I say this because I know that during programs I can become critical of our museum practice and uh, where the the state of of our industry is at the moment. I do that uh, because I criticize with love. Uh, If we're not critical, uh, self-critical, we won't uh, get better and reach our full potential. I Again, thank you very much for making this such a successful first year. I look forward uh, to being with you yet another year. Uh, And uh, I wish you both at all a wonderful uh, holiday season and Happy New Year. We will have a live program next week uh, where I'm bringing a a wonderful two guests uh, who have written a a great book about the impact of museum objects. But until then, I want to thank you very much. Remember, you can always Always reach me at carol.bossard at verizon.net or send me a tweet at newswrite. Uh, thank you very much. Until next week. Thank you.
1: Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.